1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 17. Wonderfully encouraging, hopeful passage for us this morning. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, now as we turn our attention to your word, we thank you for this great privilege we have here to listen to what you say, to be instructed, Father, by your spirit through your servant, the Apostle Paul, writing this uh, passage so many years ago and having it continue, Lord, to do its work in your people. We pray for that work to be done here amongst us this morning. Father, give faith to those who are in need. Give repentance to those of us who are in need. And Father, build us up so that we may be your servants here in this lost and dying world. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is uh, the one character we have where we actually get to read the story of his transformation. Uh, that's found in the book of Acts. Uh, you can accurately say that we, we, we know far more about his life than any other apostle or believer that we meet in the New Testament. We know so much about the Apostle Paul that, that biographies have been written about him based solely on what we can be learned about him in these pages. A few years ago, I, I read one of those biographies written um, by uh, Walter Wangeren Jr., um, a gifted writer. And I also have uh, a more famous biography of the Apostle Paul uh, on, my on my shelf written by Bible, Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce, uh, a little more uh, uh, technical, I'm sure I haven't gotten into it yet. Uh, but we are introduced to Paul in the book of Acts as uh, Saul, and we are shown his transformation and how his life completely changed from one who was an enemy of the church to one who was willing to suffer and give his life so that more churches could be started. So Paul is a remarkable man with a fascinating story, and we see that in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. This, this wonderful passage has commonly been known as a brief summary of the personal testimony of the Apostle Paul. We might think that the focus of this passage then is on him, on his life on his background, on his conversion, on his ministry, on his amazing story. Of course, we can fall into that, that same um, error as well, can't we? When we give our testimonies, we can put the focus on us. 
It's about me. It's about my background. It's about who I am now. It's about what I'm doing now. But if Paul were here among us today, he would stand up and shout, No! No! It's not about me! It's about Christ. It's about Christ and his glory revealed in the gospel. He would say, my life is just one small example of all those who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't look to me. Look to Christ. So Paul's conversion story shows Christ's mercy, it shows his grace, it shows his mission and his glory, but for Paul's purposes here, he especially wants to highlight Christ's perfect patience, as we see there in verse 16. And what we will see as we make our way through this passage is that Paul's story is the story of every believer. So our main theme from uh, these, these verses here, verses 12 to 17, is the gracious patience of Christ is seen in the grateful hearts of every believer and gives hope to every sinner. So this passage is, as, like I said, all about Christ. That's about Christ from beginning to end. It begins with Christ in verse 12, where, where Paul says, I thank him, I thank Christ, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And then, of course, the passage ends with Paul's sudden digression into worship in verse 17 there, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul then mentions Christ six other times in verses 13 through 16. So Paul is, is not telling us about himself. He is telling us about Christ. Paul has been concerned in, the, in this letter um, that the church in Ephesus uh, holds on to sound doctrine. That is, the gospel that Christ entrusted to Paul and the apostles, which is the foundation of this church and the foundation of all churches. That's the sound doctrine. That's the gospel that he is very concerned that this church holds on to and continues to teach. So the, 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 the structure of our sermon will follow then what Paul is telling us about Christ in these verses. Uh, first in verses 12 uh, and uh, 13 there, the shocking mercy of Christ. Uh, then the, the abounding grace of Christ in verse 14. Uh, then the gracious mission of Christ in verse 15. And then the perfect patience of Christ in verse 16. And finally, verse 17, the supreme glory of Christ. I know that's more points than we're usually uh, handling on a Sunday morning, but don't worry. We'll get through them. All right. So first, number one, the shocking mercy of Christ Verses 12 and 13 here. Let's read those again. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul is grateful. He is a grateful man. Uh, whenever you read Paul's letters, that's one thing that you should notice is how much he emphasizes thanksgiving as a proper uh, practice for every believer. He fills his prayers with gratitude 
for how Christ um, saved uh, others in the churches that, that uh, he, he writes to. He even prays in his letters that the believers in those churches would be filled with thanksgiving to God for his grace to them. Uh, he encourages believers in the church of Corinth to give generously to other believers who are in need so that when others hear about their generosity in their giving, that would result in many thanksgivings to God. Paul's life was one of gratitude from beginning to end, all because of what he is describing for us in, in these verses. In verse 12, here Paul gives the reason for his gratefulness to the Lord. It is because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And we know that Paul wasn't applying for the job of apostle. For at the time, he was leading the charge to completely destroy the church and stop the spread of the gospel message. So it's, it's not like Jesus uh, was reading Paul's resume and uh, judged that Paul, you know, would be a good and, and faithful man for this position of, of apostle to the Gentiles. That's not what Paul means here. Uh, this, this judgment wasn't based on Paul's past performance. Uh, and we also know that it wasn't based on on some kind of foreknowledge. I mean, it isn't like Jesus was looking into the future and saw how faithful Paul could become under the right circumstances, and that's the reason why Jesus chose him to be an apostle. No, no, Paul, Paul is so grateful for this because it was all due to Christ's mercy. That's what he's really thankful for, Christ's mercy. Because he says, but I received mercy there in verse 13. The way mercy is used here means not receiving the condemnation or punishment that you deserve. If you've you've ever been pulled over by um, a patrolman for for speeding and the patrolman only gives you a warning, you have received mercy. That's mercy. You deserve to be fined for breaking a traffic law, but for whatever reason, you know, the patrolman maybe looked at your license and noticed that you, you share the same birthday or the same birthday as one of his kids. So he let you off. Or, or maybe it was on Christmas Day and you're on your way to celebrate Christmas, so he just, hey, it's Christmas, you know, let you off with a warning. Or maybe he was just in a good mood. And so you didn't receive what you deserved. Again, whatever reason, that's mercy. That's mercy. And here Paul confesses to being a blasphemer, being a persecutor and an insolent opponent of the Lord Jesus prior to his calling. And when Christ stopped him in his tracks, when he was on his way to Damascus to to arrest and and probably put to death some more Christians, what he deserved from Christ then and there was condemnation. Paul deserved to be killed. He deserved to be stopped and immediately cast into hell. But that isn't what he received in that moment from Christ. Instead, the, the, the Lord knocked him off his horse, blinded him to get his attention, and then the Lord called him into his service. King Jesus had mercy on Paul. Again, he had been a blasphemer. He had dishonored Christ 
he had dishonored the Son of God by proclaiming that Jesus wasn't whom he said he was. Paul spoke evil of Christ. And he even says in, in Acts that he tried to force the Christians he was arresting to blaspheme as well. He was a persecutor of Christians. He, he tried to make life awful for any Jewish person who turned to put their faith in Christ. And not just that. He said in Galatians 1.13 that he persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. He was an insolent opponent of the church. But when the risen Christ met him on the road to Damascus, do you, do you recall the one question that the Lord asked him then and there? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when Saul asked, who are you, Lord? Jesus responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Right there, what did Saul deserve? Persecuting Jesus. And this is the opponent of Jesus, the Lord. What did he deserve? He deserved judgment. He deserved the wrath of the Lamb to be poured out on him. But what did he receive instead? Mercy. He received mercy and a calling. He acted in, in ignorance and, and, and unbelief. Paul thought he was serving God by trying to destroy the church. But now, now after, after meeting Jesus and receiving mercy, his eyes were open to who the Lord really was. And he began to serve him wholeheartedly, understanding that, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, had risen from the dead and was the Messiah. He was the Lord. And he needed to be proclaimed. So each of us in here, each of us has also received mercy from the Lord. For one thing, we're all alive and breathing in here. And that's only because of, of God's mercy. We, we, we don't deserve the life and, and, and the many, many blessings that he's given to you and me. We deserve far worse. But if you are a Christian, if your eyes have been opened to your need for forgiveness and salvation that can only be found in Christ, and you've put uh, your faith in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation and for the righteousness that you need before God, then, then mercy is exactly what you've been given. Shocking mercy. I mean, why would a king not only let rebels like us continue to live, but much more than that, why would he die for our sins? What a merciful Savior he is, and such a gracious one as well. Next we'll see the abounding grace of Christ, the abounding grace of Christ in verse 14. Uh, Paul did not only receive mercy from the Lord in, in, in not getting what he deserved, but he adds a very large and to that mercy in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Mercy and 
abounding grace. While mercy is, is not getting what we deserve, not suffering the wrath that our sins deserve, grace is getting what we don't deserve. It is an undeserved favor or blessing from the Lord. It would be even more accurate to say it is, it is ill-deserved favor from the Lord. If I'm at a nice restaurant, just sitting at a table, uh, enjoying my expensive meal, and someone at another table, whom I don't know, calls my waitress over and pays my bill for me, well, that is undeserved favor. But if the same guy pays for my meal at this fancy restaurant, expensive meal, while I'm spitting on his food and stealing his wallet, well, that would be ill-deserved favor. In the first case, I didn't deserve the gift of a free meal, and in the second, I deserve the opposite. I deserve a punch in the mouth. I deserve to be hauled out of there and thrown in jail. But instead, the man pays for my meal. That is like the grace that the Lord gave Paul, as well as every rebellious sinner who has come to know salvation in Christ Jesus. Paul says the grace that he received from from the Lord was not just a one-time gift, but that it overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, In saying this, Paul uh, may be trying to remind us of a fairly well-known psalm. Uh, In Psalm 23, David says to the Lord, my cup overflows. Where I grew up, uh, there was a truck stop just three miles uh, down the road from uh, my, my parents' house on the corner of Highways 3 and 71. And when I was young, uh, they had a cafe there, and it was our go-to place uh, to eat. Uh, the, the table that we usually uh, sat at uh, in that cafe was the one closest or nearest to the, to, to the kitchen door, and uh, there was this one waitress that, that took such good care of us, I'm sure as well as everyone else. Uh, it was almost like uh, our, our, our water cups would, would always be full. I'd take a few sips out of my water cups filled with ice, and nice, nice and cold, uh, and then, boom, she's there with the pitcher, filling that cup back up again, always keeping it full. Well, that is the image that Paul is using here, that the favor of Christ towards his people will never run out. Ill-deserved favor will never run out. It's, it's overflowing. Our cups will always be full. Uh, once we've hit a rough patch and we feel like uh, we've, we've used up a bunch of his grace, there will always be more flowing to us, more love, more faith, more hope coming to us all in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then third, in in verse 15, we see the gracious mission of Christ, the gracious mission of Christ. Here is the most famous verse in this passage and probably in all of 1 Timothy. Uh, This verse has been a great comfort to many sinners who have received the grace of our Lord Jesus. Uh, One such redeemed sinner, uh, Thomas Bilney, in the early days of the English Reformation in the early 1500s, he had had gotten a hold of of a Greek New Testament that was uh, kind of a new new thing uh, in those days. And he was a scholar, uh, well-educated, and so began to 
to, to read that Greek New Testament for the very first time, having never read or owned a copy of the scriptures before that. And here's how he, how he, how he described coming to this verse in that first reading. He says, At the first reading, as I well remember, I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul, O most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul. In 1 Timothy 1, it is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief and principal. This one sentence, through God's instruction and inward working, which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate my heart, he says, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins and, and being almost in despair, that even I immediately seemed unto myself inwardly to feel a marvelous comfort and quietness insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. After this, the scripture began to be more pleasant to me than the honey or the honeycomb. After this, uh, Thomas Bilney became a central figure um, in a small group of theologians. These the theologians would uh, meet together at uh, the White Horse Inn, and they prepared and helped to lead the Reformation in England. And his gospel preaching and leadership then led to his execution as he was burned at the stake in 1531, but his influence lived on as the English Reformation of the church continued and eventually won out in England. So this verse should fill everyone who is well aware of their sin with hope. For everyone who is very mindful of their guilt and their unworthiness, God's word is saying here, Jesus the Son of God came into the world for you. He came to save sinners like you and me. This is the key teaching in this passage and in all of the Christian faith. At the center of the Christian faith is not some certain moral code that we are to follow. Uh, there's not a certain path uh, that you must walk there, 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 there are no rituals that you must perform daily or, or, or weekly. There is not even a certain way to dress or cut your hair or some particular diet you have to restrict yourself to. No, no. At the center of the Christian faith, there is a man. And that man is Jesus Christ. And he is the truth. He is the life. He is the way of salvation. And no one comes to God the Father no one enters into eternal life but through him. As John Calvin uh, summed it up, in the doctrine of our religion, this is indeed the chief point that we who are lost in ourselves should come to Christ to gain our salvation from him. So have you done that? Have you done that? You can't just think you have eternal life because you come to church. Students, young people here, have you done that? Just because your, your, your parents are believers, just because your parents read the Bible, doesn't necessarily mean you have eternal life. 
you must make Christ your Savior. You must come to Christ yourself. You must trust in Him and Him alone. You must have a similar testimony to Paul, who said in verse 13, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. For me. That is for me personally. You must have the sense that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for you, for your sins, and for your guilt. And when he rose again from the dead, he did it in order to give you his righteousness. So have you come to Christ? Have you trusted in him as your Savior? It's the only way, only way for you to have eternal life. And for all of us, we must also have the same sense of our own sin as Paul had here. We must think of ourselves as the worst offenders of God's law, that there could not possibly be anyone more guilty, more sinful than myself. Now, Paul, of course, was not making a, a literally factual statement uh, here when he says that I am the foremost of, of sinners. Uh, he was just communicating what all true Christians sense about themselves uh, who have come to, the, to know the amazing grace of Christ who saved a wretch like me. Now, I, I know some of you can get down to yourself pretty easily. Your heart constantly reminds you uh, of your sins, of, of, of how you have failed even sins from long ago, years ago. Your heart reminds you of how you're not measuring up. You can never get over the sense of guilt that you have, maybe for not being a good enough father or a husband or, or, or a leader or even a good enough friend. And I know that mothers, especially younger ones, can struggle with the sense of guilt. They're, they're letting their children down. They're letting their husband down. They're, they're comparing themselves with, with, with other mothers that they see, and they just know they don't measure up to them. And so then you can, you can believe that you certainly must be this great disappointment to the Lord. Maybe your sin and guilt are so real to you that you may even be questioning if you really are a Christian. Well, take heart. Take heart. The great Apostle Paul, whom the Lord used to plant churches, Proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles all over the Roman Empire and write more than a third of the New Testament considered himself to be the foremost of sinners. Take courage. If you know yourself to be a sinner, to have fallen short, then you are in the exact place that you need to be in order to be saved. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you. Christianity is the only religion in the world that is for bad people, for those that, that don't measure up. Christ is for you. In 16, verse 16, we see the perfect patience of Christ. Perfect patience of Christ. So, Paul shares next that there was a reason why he received mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not just so Paul would be given eternal life. 
It was not just so Paul would stop persecuting the church. He says here there was a greater purpose than just his salvation for why he received mercy, why he received this grace, which it might surprise us here in verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his fill in the blank. What would you say? Grace? That sounds right. Mercy? Glory? All those are theologically accurate, but that's not what the text says. That Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Have you ever wondered why Jesus just didn't appear before Paul the day after he was raised from the dead? You know, like, why didn't Jesus just walk into Paul's dining room one night you know, while he was there having supper and, and, and show Paul that he was wrong about him? That he really was the Christ? And he had just risen from, from the dead? He was going to do that anyway. Why didn't he do that sooner? Wouldn't that have prevented a bunch of trouble that Paul caused by, by persecuting the church and, and throwing Christians into prison? I mean, instead, the Lord allowed Paul to do what he did to be this blasphemer, to be this persecutor, to be this insolent opponent, to show his ignorance about Jesus. He allowed him to become this. Why? Well, Paul says here it was also Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him, in Christ, for eternal life. For everyone who repents of their waywardness and comes to faith in Jesus, they come at the very time that the Lord has planned for them to come. Just like with Paul. When Jesus met, met, met Paul on the road to Damascus, it was at just the right time for Paul to meet him. His day had finally arrived when he would know Christ. You may ask the question yourself, why didn't the Lord open my eyes when I was younger? Why did I have to, have to waste so many years in sin and unbelief? Or maybe it might be better to ask, why did Jesus give me so much time? Why didn't he strike me dead before I, before I ever came to faith? It is what I deserved. It's definitely what Paul deserved. Maybe some of you even have stories of, of, of near-death experiences, times when you just missed dying and then later came to faith. Why? Christ waited for Paul. Christ waited for Paul. Christ was patient with him, and he was patient with you in order that he might display his perfect patience as an example for others. John Calvin again puts it this way. He says, It was profitable for the church that Paul had been the kind of man he was before he was called to apostleship. For by giving Paul a pledge of his grace... Christ has called all sinners to a sure expectation 
of obtaining forgiveness. When he was changed from a fierce and savage beast into a shepherd and pastor, Christ gave a remarkable example of his grace, which might bring all men to assure confidence that access to salvation is closed to no man, however serious and outrageous his sins may be. For every unrepentant sinner still alive and breathing today, he is under the condemnation of God, but there is hope for him. We read this, we see there's hope for him. There's hope for Paul. There's hope for him. Christ is showing his patience toward him. There's still time for him. And his patience, of course, is meant to lead sinners to repentance. If you have not come to Christ yet, Christ has been very patient with you. But his patience is meant to lead you to come, to lead you to repentance. So come. Come now. Come to Christ in repentance and faith and then be one. Like Paul is able to share this testimony to others. Finally, verse 17, we see the supreme glory of Christ. The supreme glory of Christ. Uh, All of Paul's reflection here on the mercy, grace, mission, and patience of Christ, particularly in how his life was transformed by it, leads him to worship the Lord. Uh, he, He ends this brief section with a glorious word of praise to Christ in verse 17. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is just another way of saying there is no one greater, there is no one more worthy of praise and honor, there is no one higher than Christ Jesus, the Lord. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to first ask you a question and then give you an exhortation. So if you are a Christian, if you are one who has had a similar experience uh, as the Apostle Paul in that you know you once were lost, but now you have been found by Christ, how often do you reflect upon your salvation. How often do you think about it? Do you regularly reflect upon the grace of our Lord overflowing for you? You see, I believe that it is essential for you to do that. Do that regularly. Remind yourself, like Paul, of who you used to be, of what Jesus saved you from. But don't dwell there. Don't dwell there. Don't stay there. Instead, dwell on the mercy and the grace, the mission and patience of Christ for you and for his people. Recall not just your story, but think about the stories of others that you've heard, like Pastor Luther Eatman. Most of you have met Pastor Luther. You've heard him preach here. He used to be a drug dealer on the streets of Kansas City. Until Jesus met him and graciously changed his heart to turn away from all of that. And he's now been pastoring the Bridge of Hope Church in the same area of the city where he used to work the streets. He's proclaiming the gospel he once scorned. He's making disciples and feeding the hungry in the grace and power of our Lord Jesus. Praise God. I'm sure you've heard of many other different testimonies of God's saving grace at work the transformation of believers 
some here in this church, maybe some you've, you've met at, in other contexts. Reflect on them and remind yourself of the power of Christ's transformed lives. Do that regularly and especially as you prepare for Sunday morning worship. For it will help to lead you, as it led Paul here, to worship and praise the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Another great way to reflect on the gospel that I have made a regular part of my daily devotional time with the Lord in the mornings is, is reading through uh, great gospel hymns. Um, I have a collection of, of, of hymn books, and I just work my way through them, reading and reflecting on them or singing them if I know the, know the tune. Uh, and here's one that, that particularly helped me uh, recently to just, just struck me about how wonderful Christ's mercy and grace are for sinners like us. This is from that great hymn writer, Isaac Watts. Lord, we confess our numerous faults, how great our guilt has been. Foolish and vain were all our thoughts, and all our lives were sin. But, O oh, my soul, forever praise, forever love his name, who turns thy feet from dangerous ways of folly, sin, and shame. Tis not by works of righteousness which our own hands have done, but we are saved by sovereign grace, abounding through his Son. Tis from the mercy of our God that all our hopes begin. Tis by the water and the blood our souls are washed from sin. Tis through the purchase of his death who hung upon the tree. The Spirit is sent down to breathe on such dry bones as we. Raised from the dead we live anew and justified by grace we shall appear in glory too and see our Father's face. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we rejoice with Paul. We praise the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we ask you that you would continue to help us. Help us, Father, to, to reflect on his, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his glory. And, Father, may our lives show forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we point to him more and more. And may others, Father, that we come in contact with, that we have, that we have influence over, may, may they come too to see that their sins can be washed away through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now, Father, to give praise and glory to him. In his name we pray. Amen.